Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. But today, we're going to get into uh, two episodes with the twins that we met last week in Jacob's story, Jacob and Esau. So if you're here and you're taking notes, um, you can simply call this message Sibling Rivalry. Any of you have siblings? Yeah, any of you have siblings that you have a little bit of a rivalry with? Can we be honest about that today? All right, great. You're going to like this message. It's going to be good. We get to see um, Jacob, the schemer, in full swing here today. And there's a couple things that we're going to notice about Jacob. The first thing is this, um, you know, knowing what to value in life, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Knowing what's valuable and going after it, that's a good thing. But pursuing those things, material things, at all costs, that kind of can take a toll on our soul. It does something to the inside of us. It can even affect our relationships, particularly in family, when we're always sort of looking for an edge, looking to get ahead. But the great thing about God is that even when we kind of give ourselves entirely to the pursuit of other things in our lives, God never stops working behind the scenes in our life. Do you guys know that? No matter what road, what path we choose to go down, what detours we might take, God never stops pursuing us. Isn't that amazing? Because God wants to teach us. You know what to value, but I'm going to teach you how to value what's eternal even more. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week with the kind of very first instance of Jacob scheming his way with things. We're going to read Genesis chapter 25, verse 27 through 34. And it says this, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Just really quick, parents, when has that ever caused any problems, right? Mom and dad playing favorites? Okay. We talked a little bit about it on the podcast this week, family of origin, what we get from our families. This is already brewing here in the story. Isaac loved Esau, Rebecca loved Jacob. Verse 29, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. And he said to Jacob, I am starving. Give me some of that red stew. And this is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear to me that your birthright is mine So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. I bet he rolled out the red carpet for him at that moment, right? (laughs) He gave him everything. Esau ate the meal, got up and left, and he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Let's pray together as we get in the word. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you're here, and we know that you want to come and, and kind of hold up that mirror to us again. And Lord, we pray that you do that. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Deposit some things in our hearts, some fresh revelation today. Challenge us, shape us, mold us into your image, Lord. We are, we're constantly being conformed in the image of your Son. And we want to see that happen more and more in our lives. So come and walk amongst us. We welcome you to come and do some work on us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Well, growing up, one of my older brothers, and I won't tell you which one, he had a way of talking me into things when I was a young man. Particularly if he wanted to sell me something that he had that he no longer wanted, right? He wanted to get rid of it so that maybe he could get the newer version of it. Uh, he, he constantly did this. He called it the brother's discount. I'll give you the brother's discount was like his famous way of saying it to me. Give you a good deal, right? The most notable time I can remember, I was about 12 years old and I got talked into buying a two-year-old Palm Pilot. Now, what a 14-year-old at the time was doing with a Palm Pilot, we can, you know, I don't really know. But the Palm Pilot, let's just say, it had absolutely nothing of value to a 12-year-old Ryan. But I got talked into buying it somehow. Mysteriously, the discounted price that he gave me was almost the same thing he had paid for it. And almost as much as the new color version that he was about to buy for himself, which had games on it, which to be honest, that's what I cared about anyway. I can't tell you how many times my brother got me with the brother's discount. It's okay, I'm over it now. (laughs) No, really, I'm good. (laughs) Um, But I wonder, you know, as I read the story of Jacob kind of getting one over on his brother Esau here, I wonder if he didn't have something in common with my brother and the brother's discount here. Always looking for that next thing that he was going to get for himself. Always ready to cut a deal with Esau. And the brother's discount, it's a bit of an inside joke in my family. Um, basically, everybody jokes about how stupid I was as a kid and how many times my brother was able to get one over on me. But how many of you guys know that sometimes in, in our family life, uh, when, we, when we operate in the way that we see Jacob operating here, it can actually cause some serious rifts between family members? You know, siblings, mothers and, and their children, fathers and their children. When we choose to operate like this, you know, maybe you felt it before. Maybe, you know, you felt some just estrangement from a loved one. Maybe just felt like there's something there, maybe even unspoken when somebody dropped the ball, when you expected something of your sibling and they just decided that they didn't care to meet that expectation. Maybe you feel like somebody in your own family even kind of put your feelings on the back burner so that they could get ahead in what they were pursuing. You know, when we have this kind of rift between family members, sometimes it can spiral out of control. It can leave people with hurt feelings. It can produce all kinds of sibling rivalry, families at odds with one another. And wouldn't you know it, sibling rivalry is absolutely huge in the Bible's story. You know, we, we want to look back and put things in their proper context and oftentimes, if you're reading the book of Genesis, how many of you guys have, like, skipped over all those long lists of names? You know, we don't use the word begat very much anymore, so when Adam begat, you know, and begat, 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 we tend to just be like, all right, I can't pronounce any of this, right? But those genealogies, those long lists of names in the Bible, many of them have a purpose, particularly in, in the book of Genesis, because it's really simple. So many of those former siblings that you see their names on those lists They become nations that held a grudge against God's people. They come back in the story. I mean, if you read on in Israel's story in the Old Testament, Israel is pretty much always fighting someone. And they're fighting one of Cain's descendants, one of Lot's descendants, one of Esau's descendants, or even in modern day, Ishmael's descendants. You see, the the genealogies that we read in Scripture, sibling rivalry, it doesn't just stop with, you know, some casual things. It kind of gets out of control sometimes when we act like Jacob in our lives. We see it here. 
You know, in this story we just read, Esau is given the name Edom. Edom meaning red because of the red stew. Or oftentimes red because he was born and he was very red. But at, e- at any rate, Edom becomes a nation that is constantly a thorn in the side of Israel. The people who come from Esau are a problem for the people who come from Jacob later on. So, so much of the sibling rivalry that begins right here, even in this very story, goes on to set up a lot of the future conflict we read about in the Bible. But we tend to gloss over some of those things. Jacob steals the birthright from his brother. And what the birthright meant, it was the rights as the firstborn. It meant a double portion of the inheritance, material goods, and it meant headship of the family name. He was the one to carry on the line. And the funny thing about Jacob in this moment as he schemes his way with his brother is that before Jacob was born, as we read last week, God promised that Jacob would be favored. God promised that Jacob would have the inheritance. But Jacob decides in this moment to kind of take matters into his own hands. He said, yeah, God promised me this, and I'm going to make sure it happens now. Right? I'm going to do it in my way. I'm going to do it in my timing. Sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves today, we're a little bit like Jacob. God has promised us some things. Maybe you've got a promise that God gave to you that you've been holding on to. And it can be really tempting sometimes to go, okay, I know God promised me, so I'm going to just make it happen now. Anybody ever been there before? I know I have. We all have promises from God. Sometimes, we choose to take matters into our own hands. So it's easy for us to look at Jacob in this moment with his brother and kind of judge him for his actions, right? You're like, man, that guy, he's kind of a jerk, right? That wasn't a nice thing to do. He's not a very good brother. We kind of, it's very easy to judge his actions as we see him operate in some shady ways with his own family members. But here's the thing. In the, in the Bible, it's actually Esau in this moment who kind of gets the stick for his actions. You know, maybe... Maybe you've heard it preached before. Maybe you've heard a pastor talk about Esau in this moment because he's way too casual with something he should have valued. He's way too casual. For all of his skills, all of his know-how, he has a severe lack of wisdom in this moment. And I've heard pastors talk about it. Maybe you have before as well. Uh, Something like this. doesn't matter what color the stew is. It doesn't matter how good it looks. Don't sell out for that stew. I've heard a lot of pastors use that one before. Maybe this applies to our lives today. When you're tired, when you're hungry and exhausted, don't go where you know there will be temptation for you because you're tired and you're hungry and it's going to look real nice. You know, but our focus today isn't on Esau, even though Hebrews calls him godless and immoral for this moment that he has. Our focus remains on Jacob in the story because Jacob, the way I read it, he kind of gets away with his actions, right? He kind of gets away with it. He doesn't like have any definite repercussions in this moment. But it was definitely a brother's discount kind of moment going down. And I wonder, I wonder if this moment isn't like a culmination of their whole relationship. We're not given all the details, but I wonder if it wasn't like at every turn where they're hanging out together as little boys, Jacob's like, yeah, cool, you can have that, but I got your, I want your birthright first. If he wasn't like every opportunity knocking on his door, like, sell me your birthright, bro, and then we'll be cool. And then just all of a sudden, Esau finally gets to a breaking point. And he's like, fine, fine, you can have it. I wonder if it didn't go down a little differently. Because unlike Esau, Jacob knew what to value. He knew what to value, and he wasn't going to stop 
until he was walking out of there with that birthright. The strange thing about this part of the story is we don't really know how God feels about this moment. You know, oftentimes we, we come at it and we, we want to judge Jacob for what he's doing. We want God to go, hey, you know, there needs to be some repercussions here for these actions. But we don't know how God feels about his scheming in this moment. But one thing we know is that God doesn't choose to intervene. He doesn't choose to intervene in this story in the moment. God is letting this play out in Jacob, and we, we're not really sure why. It reminds me of another moment in Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells a story. It's called the parable of the shrewd manager. And in short, basically, the story that Jesus tells is one of a wealthy man who goes away and he leaves a manager in control of all his money back home. And that manager, he begins to be a little shifty and shady. He starts doing some unwise things. And later on, the manager hears that his master's coming back to call him to account and to fire him because he's been a bad manager. So that manager, you know, starts cutting a bunch of deals with suppliers and saying, oh, you owe a thousand dollars, just make that five hundred dollars to try and win himself some friends before he gets the axe from the master. It's totally shady. But in verse 8 of this story that Jesus is telling, it says this, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. You know, this story always rubbed me the wrong way, if I'm honest. (laughs) From Jesus, I'm like, I don't understand what Jesus is saying here. Because it doesn't fit my justice sense, right? That's not fair. That's not right. God needs to step in and do something about it, right? It doesn't fit our justice sense. I'm looking for restitution. That guy should have to pay it all back. He just cost his master a bunch of money. You know, these stories, they don't mean that God's justice is flawed. When we see that there's some things going on and God doesn't immediately intervene, it doesn't mean that God's justice is flawed or lacking, but maybe, just maybe, God knows a little bit better than us. Maybe, just maybe, God is able to work in some ways that we don't understand. That God is at work in this story, but it's happening behind the scenes. Maybe God can even redeem that side of Jacob that is scheming and knows how to pursue things that are valuable. It's a little bit cutthroat. Jacob is known for his shrewdness. And this is the introduction we get to it. In fact, all of Israel eventually becomes known for being a people of extreme shrewdness, right? knowing what to value. Jacob was shrewd, even a little shady, but God decides to let things run their course in this moment. He sees Jacob pursue things that are of earthly value, but he starts laying some groundwork in Jacob's life, even here, so that he can teach Jacob how to pursue things of eternal value. You know, I often quote C.S. Lewis, talking about those things that we run after and desire in our lives. C.S. Lewis reminds us that when God looks at the things we desire, material things, status things, you know, God doesn't find our desires too strong, but far too weak. Because what God has in store, even for Jacob in this moment, is so much greater than he can imagine. And oftentimes when we decide to try and make things happen in our own way, God wants to remind us that what he has in store for us in his ways, in his timing, is better than we can imagine as well. So God doesn't jump in quickly to correct Jacob in this moment. He lets things play out. In his perfect wisdom, he's playing the long game with Jacob, and he does it with us as well. Something that God knows about us, and he knows about Jacob in this moment as well, is that when we begin to pursue all these other desires that we have, 
for other things, particularly material desires that we have, things, we tend to get carried away, right? Anybody recognize that in themselves? Like, I tend to be like, I need this, and then be like, oh, but I gotta get the accessories for that as well, right? And we get a little carried away sometimes. And sometimes when there's sibling rivalry involved with that, things can get a little messy. They get a little messy. But here's the thing. When our desires get out of hand, when we start pursuing things at a level that's unhealthy, it brings us to a place where we can come to our senses, where we have to actually realize what's going on in us. It always brings us you know, to a choice moment again. Dr. Henry Cloud has this amazing little book called Boundaries, and he tells of how because God has created a world of order with some limitations on us, we're not infinite, you know, we're not, we can't do everything. There's natural limits in our world because God has created this world of order. And it, it kind of intersects with our cultural moment, doesn't it? Because in our culture, we prefer to refuse limits of any kind, right? Have you noticed this about our world? We want absolute freedom. No one can tell me how to do anything, right? Don't put any limits on me. Don't tell me I need to conform to anything. That's the moment that we live in in culture. So Dr. Henry Cloud examines this in his book, Boundaries, and he says, you know, at some point you're going to push against boundaries, natural boundaries that are set in place by God. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that you, growing up as a kid, you have a little bit of a rebellious streak in you. Anybody who was like that as a kid? Kind of like a little bit of a hothead and stuff. And, and you know you're not paying attention to anything your parents say. You know, God has given you parents for a reason in your life, but you refuse to listen to them, right? So you don't listen to your parents, and eventually you start, you know, operating with a little friend group, a sphere that you hang out with, and they start to go, oh, you're kind of a jerk too. We don't like that, but you don't listen to your friends either. Uh, you know, I don't need those friends. They don't get it. They don't understand me, you know, and at school, you decide, I'm not going to listen to my teachers. I'm not going to listen. I'm not, they're setting up some limits and boundaries on me. But I don't care about any of that. You keep going in life. You know, you push back on these things. Eventually, you're going to limit some of your own prospects in life, right? You don't do well in school. doesn't bode well for future job opportunities. It can go on. Maybe you go into the workforce and your boss starts to set some limits in your life, like beyond time to work. You know, I don't like that guy. I'm not going to listen to him. What does he know anyway, right? Eventually... Maybe you run in with the law. There's some limits that the law imposes on us as well. You don't obey the law, you might find yourself some hard limits in the form of some steel bars on your life. Even eventually, your own body and your health, you choose to live with, I'm going to deny myself nothing, I'm going to limit nothing. How many of you know your own body will start to shut down on you eventually? Your health, you'll have issues. At each new limit, at each new boundary, of the way God has created this world that we transgress, we come to this moment of choice. It brings us back to realize that, you know, we really can't point the finger at anybody but ourselves. Boundaries are a part of God's prevenient grace in our lives. Boundaries are part of the way that he created this world and ordered it so that all things are drawn to himself. And this story that we just read, that's a story about Jacob transgressing some boundaries pushing against, I will be denied nothing. I'm going to get for myself whatever I want. And he doesn't stop there. But here's the thing. God lets us transgress boundaries sometimes. He's given us free will in the matter, right? 
He lets us transgress boundaries because he wants to take us on a journey. God's continuously playing the long game with Jacob. And sometimes when we refuse any limitations on our lives, God allows us as well to reap what we sow in our lives for a greater purpose. So the birthright that Jacob goes after in this first episode, it's all about physical and material things. Physical and material things. Jacob wanted more. More, more, more. And like Jacob, we each are drawn pretty easily to material things that we don't have. Right? Can we be honest this morning about our tendencies? We're often drawn to things which are external things in our lives and and physical things. Sometimes we get into modes where we're looking at the possessions of others, right? Man, look at what that guy's got. My brother-in-law just got a new truck. It's sweet. Man, that's a sweet truck. I like that truck. I could see myself in a truck like that. That would be a good truck for me. You know, we're wired by our culture. We're wired by technology. How many of you guys have had that experience where you're somewhere on the internet on your phone and all of a sudden that thing you were looking at on Amazon keeps following you around the internet, right? Our technology is wired to put those physical things, which we kind of like a little bit, in front of us all the time until we go, yeah, all right, I'll buy it, right? Marketing, we're, we're wired to compare with what everybody else has, what it means about them. And we want to make sure that on the outside, everything looks good and everything looks great. No matter what's going on on the inside of us, as long as I can get more of that stuff, I'll be happy. I'll have it all figured out. Like the young boy who has the latest LeBron shoes, the compression sleeve, the headband, but can't shoot a basketball to save his life as long as it looks good on the outside, right? I got all this stuff. Don't I look good? See, with the birthright, Jacob is all in on all those external material signs of status, wealth, power, platform. He's going after all that stuff with the birthright. Here's the thing. When we kind of give in to that drive within us to go after all the external things, those material things, focus on what others have that I don't have, how many of you guys know that gets out of hand in a hurry in our lives? can run away from us. We can... You know, it never stops with the outside. It actually starts to do something inside our hearts and our souls as well when we run after all these other things. It can turn ugly quickly. Jesus once said it this way, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul in the process? So I want to look at the next episode. If you turn the page to Genesis chapter 37, we're going to read this story. It's a little long, but that's okay. We can read the Word of God in church, right? I heard a statistic this morning as I was driving in that people on average in America read for 29 minutes a day, and 11 of those 29 minutes are on Instagram. So we're going to spend some time in the Word instead, eh? Genesis chapter 27, starting at the beginning, says this, One day when Isaac, the father, was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, he said. And I don't know when I might die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows. Go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. And then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebecca, we talked a little bit about this in our podcast. Rebecca, also a schemer, overheard what Isaac said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, 
Listen, I just overheard dad. He was talking to Esau. Bring me some wild game. Prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks. Bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. And then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau, he's a hairy guy. My skin is smooth. Dad's not going to be fooled by this. He'll see I'm going to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. And then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you? Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, lie number one, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how'd you find it so quickly? The Lord, your God, put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you. Make sure you're really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's. But the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it and then I'll give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. And he said, from the dew of heaven and the richness of earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May, God, may many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. And as soon as, J as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, almost before Jacob left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. He prepared a delicious meal, brought it to his father, and said, Sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, Who are you? Esau replied, It's your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten it, and I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too. Isaac said, Your brother was here, and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. And Esau exclaimed, No wonder his name is Jacob. For now he's cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn. Now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Skip down to verse 41. You get the 
the gist of it, it says, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Okay. Now we got some big problems, right? Things are getting a little out of hand in this family. So if the birthright was all about material, physical things, the blessing is about spiritual benefit, spiritual inheritance that was owed. You know, we can compare very easily with each other on material things, but do you know that we can compare with each other on spiritual things as well? We can compare with what God is even doing in each other's lives. It's a dangerous place to be. You know, you could say, I wish that God would just hear my prayers like he seems to do for that guy. Or maybe, man, they always seem to have just such wisdom and clarity. We can compare. How come everybody else seems to see breakthrough and I'm still struggling in this area? It can be easy, actually, to compare with what is going on spiritually in another person's life and what's in ours. But sometimes our jealousy works like that. It takes us from the outside, the external things, to the inside things. We go from, man, I wish I had something he has, to, man, I wish I had everything he has, to, man, I wish I was him. I wish I was him. Jacob is never satisfied. Something begins to change on the inside. He starts to go beyond the material. He starts to focus and set his eyes on the deeper, more important things. And as his schemes become more serious and the outcomes, you know, are, are more difficult to overcome, things become more dangerous in his life. It begins to wreak havoc on this family. I want to look really quickly on what's going on inside of Jacob as he gets out of hand with his schemes. Here's the first thing we see about Jacob in this story. Jacob will use absolutely anything to his own advantage. He will use anything. Look at what he does. He exploits his father's disability. That's pretty low, right? It's pretty low when you start exploiting people's disability for your own aim. Three times he lies to his father's face. But that's not the thing that gets me. The thing that gets me is this. In verse 20, he says this. You know, Isaac's asking, how did you find this so quickly? He says, the Lord your God put it in my path. Now he's crossing some pretty serious lines. He will use anything to get what he wants. He will even use God to get what he wants in this story. You know, in our hearts, this is a serious red flag when this begins to happen, isn't it? In our hearts, when God goes from being our greatest desire, the thing which matters most to us, when we turn our, our hearts towards other things, this can begin to happen in us. Instead of us being useful to God as we put him first in our lives, we try to make God useful to us. We try and make God work for our benefit. Try and tell God how it's going to be. God becomes to us a card that we play with others so we can get what we want. That's what's happening in Jacob's heart in this moment. You want an example of how this happens to people? Just look at how every political cycle, a bunch of high-powered politicians all of a sudden become church folk, right? Start using God for their own purposes. It's in our DNA to do this. But it's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be when we start trying to use God for our own ways. Dr. Tim Mackey sums it up and he says, this is a new low point in the story of human beings in the Bible. This is a new low point in the story. Why? The chosen recipient. Remember, God promised to bless Jacob. The chosen recipient of God's blessing 
sets out to steal what God wants to give him anyway. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? God promised the blessing to him, but he goes and steals it for himself anyway. God already spoke that he would be blessed, but Jacob is constantly hedging his bets. He wants to see it happen in his own strength. This is Jacob's character on full display. This is as bad as it gets in the story we're looking at. Nothing is swept under the rug here. But each time Jacob crosses a line, each time things get uglier inside of Jacob, things also get more difficult on the outside, right? He begins to reap what he sows. So what happens in the family? Well, sibling rivalry might be an understatement of what transpires. Newton's third law. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? Check out verse 41 again. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. Catch this. And Esau began to scheme. Jacob, the schemer, can't help himself. But what happens is people in his life start scheming against him. Esau began to scheme. How many of you guys know that when we become cutthroat with people, people tend to get cutthroat with us, right? Maybe you've seen this in your life before. When we step out of line with God's ways, when we're intentionally rebellious, transgressing boundaries, what the New Testament refers to as lawlessness, our sins never just affect us, do they? They begin to affect our family. They affect our friends. There's no such thing as a sin that affects only me. It has repercussions in those in my life as well. Hosea chapter 8, verse 7 says it like this. God is speaking to Jacob's descendants when they start acting like Jacob, and he says, when you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. That's a scary thought. And that's exactly where Jacob lands. Jacob, after this moment, hightails it out of there. Where does it land, Jacob? On the run. He has no choice but to flee from his brother after these two episodes that we've considered. And here's the thing. Jacob got what he wanted. He got what he wanted. He set out with his schemes. He got the birthright. He got the blessing. Check, check. Got it all. But did it pay off for Jacob? Did it pay off how he thought it would? I picture him saying that old famous line, I saw that going differently in my mind. I thought when I had the birthright and the blessing, all of a sudden, things would be great. Instead, I'm on the run with a tent. I've got nothing. It doesn't work out the way that Jacob thought. So where's God in the story? Where's God in the story? Again, God is everywhere in this story, but as it is sometimes in our lives when we choose to detour from God's path for us, God is in the story in the form of his allowance in this moment with Jacob. He's allowing these things to play out in Jacob's life because God is playing the long game with Jacob. He's playing the long game. How many of you guys know that sometimes God allows us to go after what we want? And sometimes God allows us to get everything we want. Sometimes that alone is punishment enough because it doesn't pay off like we thought it would. But every time God interacts with our story in this way, it's because he wants to bring us to a place where we have no one else to blame, where you can't point the finger at anybody, come to a place where we start to realize what all of our schemes get us. Jacob is on the run, and ultimately, he is right where God wants him. He's right where God wants him. To be honest, if you're one of those people who always has to learn the hard way, there's really no other place to go, right? At some point, you learn the hard way. And that's where Jacob's at. Reminds me of the prodigal son, and multiple times in reading Jacob's story, it goes straight back to Luke 15 and the prodigal son. 
The prodigal son, if you know it, the guy gets everything he wants. Everything is given to him. He goes after everything he wants, and it all turns out to be fool's gold in his life. It doesn't pay off. But when he realizes that, the Bible has this little phrase, and then he came to his senses. And then the other shoe dropped. And then it started to finally click for the prodigal son, and it starts to finally click for Jacob. Even when we're scheming in our lives, even when we're living, pursuing our disordered desires with everything we've got, God is always working behind the scenes to bring us to a place where he can meet us, where we can come to our senses, where he can bring fresh revelation to our story. And I don't want to give too much away, but next week's Father's Day, and it's going to be a good message because the hero shows up in a big way in this story. The fireworks are coming. But when God interacts with our story like this, it's part of God's goodness toward us. When God allows us to run after and get those things that we want, you know, that's not God being vindictive in our story. This is a way that God kind of continuously makes a way to bring us to redemption. If we'll just turn to him. Romans 8.28 says this, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. See, when God has spoken some promises over your life, when God has been moving in your life, but you choose to take a little bit of a detour, a little misstep, you know, we all do that, right? We all do that. We all know, all Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what God wants to do in our lives. Every single one of us does this, but God is the master of playing the long game with us, pursuing us through all of our missteps, And even those bridges we might have burned along the way, they cannot overcome the grace of God in our lives. So, when our desires are fulfilled, when we get everything we want, and we realize that there was, in fact, strings attached, when the bill arrives for the way that we got there, God is waiting for that moment. God is treasuring that moment. He is waiting with his goodness and his mercy to say, okay, now we can work with you. Now you're ready. Now it's time. Long before God told Moses his character that he's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, compassionate and gracious, Jacob gets to experience that because he goes through all the hard learning moments. Because he realizes it doesn't pay off the way I thought it was going to. And because God's goodness isn't dependent on his character or his behavior. We said that last week. It's going to be a constant theme as we look at Jacob. How many of you guys are thankful that God's goodness in your life is not dependent on you getting it right all the time? Amen? I know I am. See, our worst behavior, when we act like Jacob, we know we're crossing the line, right? Like, it's not a mystery to us. Jacob is intentional. He's lying to his dad. He's using God for his own purposes. But his worst behavior and our worst behavior, it doesn't earn us less of God's goodness. And our best behavior doesn't earn us more of God's goodness. In his classic, A.W. Tozer writes, The Knowledge of the Holy. He quotes Julian of Norwich and he says, The unmerited, spontaneous goodness of God is the backing of all and underneath every way he acts in our lives. God's goodness is what underpins every action he will take in your life, and it doesn't change. Goodness is who God is, says Tozer. He is cordial, benevolent, tender-hearted, and of quick sympathy toward us. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness 
And he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. You know, sometimes when we know we're crossing the lines, we have this image of God like he's going to catch up with me. He's going to lay the smack down on me. But that's not who God is. That is not who he is. He is good to us, even when we are taking our detours and missteps, because that's who he is. Goodness is who he is, and he's unchangeable. So I want to tell you today that when every single one of us looks at moments like this in Jacob's story, and it is like a mirror to us, we recognize our own pieces in this story. When every one of us sees ourselves and comes face to face with our own heart, we finally begin to see something as well. God's goodness has been there all along. God's goodness isn't going anywhere. When we've been trying to scheme our way into the blessings that God wants to unleash in our life anyway, freely give to us, as Jacob would later reflect in Genesis 32.10, he says, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness that you've shown to me, your servant. It starts to click, comes to senses. When God allows us to go down these paths, it always brings us to a place. We get the natural reward that we have sown, and it brings us to a place where we come to our senses. So even if we think, that God has been silent in the story. Even maybe in our own lives, if we think we've offended him too far with our choices, I promise you this, God has never, ever, ever stopped working things together for your good. And he never will. Because goodness is who he is. So if we're like Jacob in these moments that we see, chasing after the things of this world, comparing with others, even, you know, lusting after the spiritual life that another might have, God wants to show us how to pursue what is of far greater value, his desires, his specific purpose for us, his blessings that he has tailor-made for your life and mine. But we got to go down that journey sometimes. As we keep going into this story, we are going to see the real hero in action. You can read ahead, pick up in Genesis 28 if you like, where Jacob is on the run, reaping what he's sown, and God begins to intervene more and more and more. I want to pray in a moment with you. But before we, you know, run ahead in this story, before we move on to all the happy parts, sometimes it's useful for us to just sit with this moment. Allow it to be that mirror to the ways that we tend to operate from time to time. I want to invite you to just take a, a posture of humility with me. I don't know what that looks like for you. It might just be to close your eyes, turn your hands upward in God's presence. But we're going to pray in just a moment. I want us to reflect. And whatever that posture may be for you, it might feel weird to you. Maybe you need to get on your knees. But if it wasn't weird, it wouldn't be humbling, right? I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to come and teach your heart in this moment. Maybe ask him to reveal any areas where you see yourself in Jacob's story. Say to him, Lord, come and search out places in us where some things are broken or where we're running after the wrong things. Let's just surrender to God for a moment. Let him in. You can close your eyes if you want. I want a couple of questions here, just as we reflect. You know, maybe there's an area of your life where you know that you've run ahead of God's plan. <laughs> He's promised to bless you. And if you don't know that, hear me today. God has promised more blessing than you can imagine. But despite his promises, maybe there's an area in your life where you've been trying to accomplish his purposes in your own strength, in your own timing. I want to invite you today to come just with a humble heart and an attitude of repentance about those things. 
We don't do enough repenting in church. Confession isn't something that the Catholic Church has a corner on the market on. We need to be a people of confession because we do this all the time. I want you to ask him to once again take the reins and show you his desires for you. I'm confident of this. If you can just grasp what his desires are for you, then you'll follow him more closely. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, you know what? Your father knows all these other things that you want to run after and secure for yourself. He knows everything that you need. Just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek his face. He'll take care of everything you need along the way. That's a promise that we can stand on when we're running after everything else, material things, even spiritual inheritance. He knows what he wants to give you. Trust him. Let him take the reins. Maybe you found yourself swept up in the comparison game. Maybe you're drawn to the material things. Maybe you're you know, caught up in the buying cycle, the things that you want. Maybe you've looked at, hey, everybody else seems to have these things. I think I'll need that too. Maybe you've set your desire even on spiritual things. We're told in scripture to eagerly desire that the spirit of God would give to us good gifts. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we can become envious of the way that God has moved in someone else's story. You know, you can't walk out another person's calling in your life. But what God has for you, for you today, is greater than what you can imagine. So just ask him. Ask him for a fresh outpouring of his spirit on you. Ask him for a fresh revelation of his desires for you, his thoughts towards you. As we read in Psalm 139, how amazing the thoughts that God has towards you and has had before you were ever born. Ask him, God, reveal some of this to me so I can just pursue that. You might be here today and you've tasted a little bit of the fruit of what happens when you operate a little bit like Jacob. You've seen a little bit of the whirlwind. You know that in your own story, you've, you've pulled a little bit of a Jacob. You've done some brothers discounting, particularly with others in your life. Maybe you've burned a few bridges along the way. You've tasted the effect of it. Today, I want you to simply remember who God is. Meditate on his goodness. God has not been absent from your story. Even in the moments where you're choosing to run from him, where you're running the opposite way from what he desires for you, he has not been absent in your story no matter what you might have done. Even if you've lied to those you love like Jacob or use God for your own purposes, if you come to him, open and honest, he will meet you in that place. I promise you. He will meet you right there and God can do the unimaginable in your story. He can work all of those things back for your good. As Jacob's descendant would one day say, what was meant for evil in your life, God will use for good. Even if that started and originated with you. God can do the unimaginable. He can work it all back for your good because our brokenness is no match for God's wholeness. Our flaws are no match for his perfection, amen? So regardless of how far we've run after our own idea of how things should be, the second that we turn to him, we realize that his grace goes so much further than our brokenness. So if everything you've pursued turns out to be fool's gold, there is something more valuable and God wants to freely give it to you. God is for you, he is with you, always. 
So let's be real today about our ways. Even as we worship, we're going to talk about how his goodness is running after us. As we come face to face with who we are, let's remember who God is. Amen? Let's worship together. Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful that you never stopped pursuing us. That even when we were dead in our sin, you came for us, not just to walk amongst us and teach us, but to even lay down your life for us because your goodness is so much greater than we can imagine. So Lord, we pray for a fresh revelation of who you are, a fresh revelation of your desires, your heart toward us. Because if we can grasp this, Lord, we know that everything on this earth pales in comparison to what your desires are for us. We pray for that revelation today, and we worship you because you are forever good and forever with us. And no matter how far we run in the opposite direction, your grace goes even further in our lives. We celebrate who you are, and we pray that you would come and be honored as we worship you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, all of God's people say, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.